If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, we're on TV. Wow. Streaming live on YouTube. We're excited about it. We got Griffin House with us. So we got some acoustic music to play for you in this hour. Griffin House was born April 21st, 1980, and he was born and raised in Springfield, Ohio. His father worked in a tire shop and his mother helped place children with foster families in high school. Uh, the athletically gifted house landed a role in a musical and was surprised to learn that he had a natural talent for singing. House uh, bought his first guitar for $100 from a friend, turned down a, a golf scholarship. How dare you, Griffin, uh, to Ohio University, and instead went to Miami University and became a no-good musician type, one of those guys. He began writing and recording and issued his first independent release, upland in 2003 his music attracted attention from network they were a big deal back in the day i don't know if they still are a vancouver base management uh company and record label and house partnered with the label's american branch to issue lost and found in 2004 in august 2004 on cbs sunday morning music journalist bill flanagan friend of mine raved about lost and found putting him uh griffin on the newcomer of the year award list you know the type of thing so anyway he's here with us was i there i was on there okay wait he's yeah that's funny hold on let me finish this intro griffin uh he's been <laughs> a touring artist ever since as well as a father and a family man his new ep called the tides is excellent it's produced by i'm gonna mess this up jakira king jakir yeah i got it Jakira, okay, I got it right. He Jakira, he, Jakira yeah. produces Kings of Leon and Buddy Guy and many, many more. So Griffin, welcome to the show. I hope you're going to play us some songs from the Tides. I was listening to it right before we came on air, and it's really great, man. I think you did a great job. Thank you. Thanks for checking yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on the show. Face. Good to yeah, see you nice too, man. I, I can't. Yeah, because last time we I just heard your voice, so it's nice to see you on camera. And um, I know, and, I, and the whole world is seeing us on camera now. This is wild. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, we live in a world of exposure, really, if, uh, especially if you're trying to get your message out there, if you're trying to put your music online. How do you go about that? I mean, we've talked a little bit about that, I think, on the last interview, but... Uh, What's your relationship like with social media these days? And I know you got this new EP, uh, you know, that you invested in with this big producer. Um, so did you go about it a different way promoting this record? I did a small radio campaign with a, a college radio campaign. I kind of decided not to hire a publicist because it just has seemed like kind of a waste of time in the past. And I don't know. Even if I get a nice little write-up in something like Rolling Stone, I don't know what good that's going to do me. So I don't know. I I just kind of try to quietly go about my business and tour around and play shows and keep making good music and, um, you know, hope that uh, I'll get lucky sometimes but not have too high of expectations on things. I try to just be grateful for the fact that people come out and see me in, in lots of cities around the U.S. and I know there's always a lot of external pressure, probably internal pressure of doing stuff on social media, but I just try to 
be funny sometimes, post things that are important to me and um, let people know where I'm playing and when I have new music and not overthink it. I, I could probably be a lot better at social media, but I, I feel like I'm one of those folks that's sort of from a little bit of a, a different generation that hasn't quite figured it out like the younger folks seem to do. So I don't know that I'm, I'm not a pro at it, but I try to at least use it as a, as a good tool here and there when I can. Well, how do you balance life uh, as a musician and touring a lot? I mean, I know you told me you used to go on the road for about 100 dates a year and you've paired that back because you're a, a father. I mean, how do you balance family life and rock stardom? <laughs> it's difficult. You know, I think it's how I touring around is how I pay the bills. So I have to go play shows and I, I like playing shows is good for me to have a break, but it, the in and out can be tough sometimes, but I just, I try to be here when I'm here. And I think when I, when I think big picture about it, I'm probably here with my kids and my wife more than most dads are that are even going, going into the city or whatever and working nine to fives. So I, I feel like I'm here a lot of days. I just happen to be gone for a week at a time here and there. And, uh, you know, 70, 80 days on the road, it isn't too bad. But I uh, obviously miss my family when I'm gone, but I feel like it's a good it's a good balance. So just try, have to try to make it work. And it's what I do, you know, so we have to kind of accept it. Is it tough on the kids? I mean, is it hard to reestablish a connection or are they just excited to see you when you come home and it's like you pick up where you left off? <laughs> I think we pick up where we left off. I think they... I think they miss me when I'm gone and I miss them and they never really want me to go, but we, we always pick back up where we left off. My kids are 10 and 12. I have two girls and we have a really solid relationship. We have a good sense of humor and we hang out together a lot. And I was just actually my youngest daughter is trying to sing a little bit. So we were practicing singing about an hour ago before we hopped on here. So it's kind of fun here her sing. Now, would you tell her to stand clear of a path in music or if she has a passion in anything, that's probably a victory really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned that cause she's, she's really hard on herself. She, she's about 10 times better at singing than she thinks she is. She's actually very, very talented and, um, but she has a little bit of performance anxiety. She's shy. So she, she needs to you know, she's doubting herself all the time, which is funny because if you heard her sing, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's that's really, really good. But uh, yeah, the encouraging her to do music, it's like, I don't know if I want her to have to travel around and do 70 shows a year like I do. But um, who knows, you know, maybe I'll just encourage her to follow her passions and see where that takes her. So I'm glad I did that. I think a lot of people have a crisis of purpose in the world anyway, you know, I mean, so mm -hmm. as tough as a life in music and the arts is, there's really not an easy path on planet earth yeah. from what I can yeah. tell. So if you have a passion, I mean, I just think it's, it's on us to encourage our children in those creative directions, because let's face it, it's, it is a lot of difficulty doing what we do, but there's also nothing better than it i think like when it when it all falls into place you know you have a really good show mm -hmm. you connect with an audience sort of elevate the spirit of the room elevate the spirit of the people they you know commune with your music i mean it's a pretty special thing we get to do it's amazing it's an it's an amazing feeling it's uh i think i always i have a tendency to feel 
nervous or like a little tired almost every time before I go play because it takes so much energy and it's sort of have a it's taken this long to occur to me lately that when I'm like an hour into my set I'm like oh my gosh I never feel this good like I I I always end up feeling amazing while playing and after playing from the connection and that gift that you're talking about of just communing with the audience and you know giving away joy and receiving joy and so I'm trying to really transition more into just fully embracing like no you don't have to worry about how how long do I have to do this or how how long will this last it's just like it's it's amazing to be able to do it in the first place you know so I'm just trying to really relax into that and and let myself enjoy every second of it it is a trip what you're talking about the moments before a show even the days before a show when you have to convince yourself to rehearse which is always really difficult but I just did this homecoming show in Akron uh, the day before Thanksgiving, and I was with my parents who are 80, both of them, and we were all on the backstage and all three of us, I had done a bunch of shows there in the past and they were really good packed houses and we were both backstage and we were both, all of us were concerned that nobody would show up. We were like, what if nobody shows up? This is kind of, and my dad was like, wise and he was like well no matter who shows up it's going to be great or this is what it is and my mom was a little concerned and and i had this these visions of being them two and like four other people in a booth you know like off in the <laughs> distance and uh when i went out there i was pleased because it was it was a full house and it was like it just i felt so grateful that uh yeah. that i got a chance to do that uh, and and play home with my parents there and everything like that because these moments are precious uh you know especially when they get that kind of age and so but, yeah. but it's funny the sort of catastrophizing that goes on in your mind how do you overcome catastrophizing in general I mean uh you know we're all in a spiritual war out here the battleground is our mind um as a musician as somebody who pulls together a touring career uh making albums doing it for many many years you must have some spiritual tricks in the spiritual toolbox on how to overcome uh the demons within how do you do it i try to um it's it's a tricky thing because I, that same thing that you're talking about i think it's almost every touring musician's nightmare that they're gonna like walk out and there's three people there and then they're gonna have to struggle with overcoming like still somehow put on a good show because i think we've right. all been there at some point you know it's like and i i but i talk to the audience about it like when i when there's a crowd there even if it's a small crowd i tell them how grateful i am that they're there because i know what it's like to drive you know 10 10 hours through the desert and show up at in Tucson somewhere and not play until midnight and walk out and we've been anticipating it all day and then there's like 10 people in some weird museum or something you're like what the hell am I doing with my life and those you know those things happen or that happened early on more often and they they don't happen very often now but it forms a kind of PTSD or something where you're like oh man I don't want to feel like that anymore so you know more, more often than not I think it's easier now to kind of gauge when where we're going to have decent shows and so I know for the most part, it's going to be okay most of the time. But I did just play a show recently that was very awkward. And I just kind of tell myself, you know, as soon as I start playing and I get into my zone where 
I'm just giving my songs out to the crowd, I can just disappear with, with them and, and not focus too much on that and just be grateful that I get to sing my songs and that um, I'm here, here to play for people. So, you know, I just try to, it's just like the rest of life. I just try to like stay in the moment and do the best that I can and move on to the next day, you know, so. And what about the rest of life? Like, because uh, I was the question was really more geared towards the rest of life, just in general. Mm. Like, I, I know the sort of live thing is uh, is particularly intense, oh. but just on a daily daily life, what do you have a morning routine? I mean, how do you get your head right every day? I don't know, man. Like, I you know, I just I'm about seventeen or eighteen months. Um, sober again from drinking and so i have to work really really hard at that because i'm i'm someone who if, if i was left to my own devices or le left to my own head and not have support around me i would convince myself that that was what i wanted to do or who i wanted to be and i've, I've done that several times in my life even though i've spent lots of years um sober so i think i have to work hard at being disciplined at that anyway and you know that includes like a little bit of a, a prayer life or a little bit of just like showing up and and getting centered and asking myself why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it takes some discipline for sure. So I think that that since I have to do that anyway, all the time in order to stay sober, it kind of puts me in a place where I really have to be careful about not taking myself too seriously, not um, not losing my sense of humor, trying to stay grateful, trying to stay humble. I exercise a lot. I've got a cold pool right out this window that I get in for three minutes a day. The water is probably 35 degrees right now. You know, I do whatever I can do to try to try to feel good and just like, you know, kind of kind of live as well as I can sort of one day at a time. And that's really humbling because like I I never really wanted to sign up for like the sober life, but it just kind of found found me and it's it's kind of the best that I can do. So I just keep keep doing it. Yeah, drinking uh, can lead you down some stormy avenues for sure. So that's good that you're doing that. It's funny you cold plunge. I, I got into a cold plunge twice today already um, and I do it every yeah. day. Um, and and I, I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan and The Rock uh, on Joe Rogan's podcast. And they were talking about how Joe had all his friends out there in Austin come over and do cold plunge and working out with the rock and all that. And they all got into the sauna and the cold plunge and they were all telling each other how great it made them feel. And I was like thinking today I was in the cold plunge and thinking, wow, I do the same thing. I go to this infrared sauna, cold plunge. I do Bikram every day, just about, it's a mm -hmm. lot of physical stuff just dealing with the mind. But I was thinking like yeah. past, past generations, they didn't have this. They like, this is like kind of nouveau biohacking stuff that we all are hip yeah. to now and we're all doing it. Yeah. Well, I think maybe the previous generations and in, in terms of the way that i perceive it even just in my own family it seems like they dealt with things a little differently you know it's like even talking about alcohol it's like it seemed to work for the previous generations in a way where they could consume large quantities of that on a regular basis in order to to cope and deal with life but i feel like as we're evolving as in humanity and in society in general it's like we're becoming more aware that that might be 
not not healthy and not um, it maybe dysfunctional or just not working well. So you have to find other ways to make yourself feel good or or even just function. I mean, for me, the what you're talking about, just the exercising every day and sometimes getting in that pool is just to feel good enough to not be a be a dick, you know, <laughs> like just to just to feel centered enough to feel okay. Um, Absolutely. So. Do you think alcohol ever helped write songs? I, I did. Uh, I have written song, good songs on a hangover. There's something about being hungover and writing a song that makes you tap yeah. into the ultra sadness. You know what I mean? Not that I'm uh, suggesting it or recommending it, but is there any aspects of it that you miss? I think that the sort of alcoholic mind frame worked for me when I was younger, because I think it made me feel somehow like I was living some sort of artistic bohemian existence. And, and with the drinking came a lot of like, you know, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of literary, literary stuff, just romanticizing life in general, as well as alcohol. And I think embracing all of that in an artistic way made me feel more creative and probably more motivated to be that way. But I don't know that it ever I don't I don't think the actual substance ever helped me write more. I think that had more to do with my work ethic around picking up the guitar or a pen and and going town with songwriting and just working at it. That's well said. Yeah, we mythologize ourselves as these uh, Charles Bukowski type figures with acoustic yeah. guitars crashing and burning but saving ourselves through one more amazing song that we happen to get to. Uh, let me take a quick yeah. break and I'll be right back after these words on TNT. TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. I don't know if you're aware of the so-called protests that took place at the gates of the White House where uh, red paint, supposed to be blood, was uh, thrown at the uh, gates. The gates were being um, grabbed and, and shaken back and forth. Uh, you had F Israel painted on uh, on the wall of a building. You had a statue in Lafayette Park defaced. You also had chants of F Joe Biden. And yet, with all that, and I think of January 6th, and there were some people who deserved to be arrested, certainly on January 6th, but they're still going after people who simply walked into that building and did nothing. Uh, and yet you had one person arrested during that whole episode that I just described in Washington, D.C., at the gates of the White House and in Lafayette Park over the weekend, Saturday. It sounds pretty incredible. The Steve Malzberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2% you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the three or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. 
thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. It's time to switch on today's news talk radio. Very entertaining. TNT. And we're back with Griffin House, singer songwriter. So Griffin, on your new record, uh, Jakira King, you decided to get a, a big time producer. We live in an era of home studios. We live in an era where sometimes it's tough to make dollars and cents with music. So therefore, so many records now, probably more than not, are made in home studios. And the technology is at a place where you you can't really tell the difference. However, I did listen to your uh, finely produced new record, and the way it starts, it kind of fades in with atmosphere. And I just, even in those early first moments of the record, I heard the thumbprint of a producing element in it, and that old school professionalism that is really pleasing when somebody decides to really invest what made you decide to do this instead of going like with a home studio route well i'd done sort of a my on my last record we had moved from nashville up to connecticut and i knew some guys in new jersey and i had a batch of songs and we did it in like three days live and i didn't do a big project for it and um so i did it kind of that way before and i i had met Jakir on a trip with some guys and we kind of knew of each other but um had never worked with one another and it, it was more just you know when you cross paths with somebody that you feel like you're supposed to meet for whatever reason um and i just decided that it was the right time to do that so it wasn't really anything that was super planned out i just met you here and we seemed to have a good vibe together so we decided to do a little ep and um and do something a little different and uh he sent me some really nice recording equipment though after we recorded so i should be set up here at my little cabin to to do some home home recording in a different way next time so i just decided to work with with a guy that really knew what he was doing while i could while he had the time 
did he make you pay for it or was that a bonus here's some bonus equipment for working with me and then if no, he, he no. just sent you free equipment can i have his phone number no i'm just kidding yeah <laughs> i know that was a really nice that was a really nice bonus so um i wasn't expecting that but he's he's a cool guy you know we kind of partnered together in a creative way on the record so um we did something a little bit different but yeah it's i think it's turning into a, a world where it's constantly shifting the way we do things and, and make it work. So um, I try a little bit something different on every on every recording project. And um, I'm glad we gave this one a try. Yeah, you almost have to put yourself into the beginner's mind with every record. You know, yeah. you have to do something a little bit different just so you have that sort of new urgency again. What what did Jakir bring to the project specifically? He he got a really great band together first of all um he had a, a nice studio to record in and, and i think he takes he takes a ton of time we tested out a bunch of mics in pre-production before we started working together and he he has such a knowledge of all the gear that he's using that i think the way that he he gets stuff going sonically is is much more advanced than i would be able to do on my own you know if i was trying to do it myself i would just have have really no idea other than well, let me let me put this up here and put some reverb on it and hope it it sounds good, you know. So just having a having a knowledge of all those sonic landscapes and how to work them all, turn all those knobs is something that I can't really do. So it was good to have him do that. Did you? I think the best producers get into our psychology. They're almost like therapists. They don't necessarily yeah. just put a tambourine part down here or in the chorus or something. They also sort of if if it's a really good producer they're going to make you more confident in your own craft and push you i think right yeah exactly i i think he he did that really well just the just being able to talk through visions and being positive you know we had a funny we got off to a funny start it was like things weren't really working with this song that was supposed to be the easiest thing to do like we started with the easiest one and it just was kind of not coming together so we were able to put our heads together and and kind of take a different path and i i think establishing a relationship with a producer like that like you're talking about just somebody that you can work with creatively that is a good puts you in a good creative and positive mind frame is is like a lot of it you know and absolutely well <laughs> yeah did you get into any fights trent reznor says if you don't get into a fight uh while you're making a record then you haven't really made a record so right fights i think maybe maybe because it was an ep we didn't we didn't have time to but um no we we kept it pretty cool i think i've done that before on other records where you know it's gotten it's gotten heated but i think as you move forward if if you have enough experience making albums i mean looking back it's like i don't want to get into a fight if i don't have to i just want to diplomatically handle a situation and, and make it work you know it's like why i don't want to go down that road I feel like I I want to keep learning and be able to do things in a way that that doesn't require that kind of conflict so true definitely <laughs> better not to fight but you know sometimes tension I don't know there's something about tension that makes creativity explode too but anyway that's a whole rabbit hole and you got your <laughs> acoustic guitar and are ready to play a song for us what are you going to play for us I'm going to play the third song on uh, the Tides EP. It's called Dead, Dead Set on You. All right. <laughs> 
Take it away. I was staring down a dream. I was trying not to fail. I was on the outside. I had a friend in jail. Love was on time, but I was running late. I was heading south across the Golden Gate. It was you and me, baby, and pretty boy Floyd. It was us against the world trying to fill that void. It's a miracle we made it, but I'd do it all again. We were just a couple fools rushing in. I was gonna stick it out through thick and thin. You were red and I was black and blue. Dead set on you. Dead set on you. I had my mind made up and my heart dead set on you. To kill a mockingbird. Nashville, Tennessee, out of the corner of my eye You were looking sideways at me There was no turning back, there was no giving up When we lost that first child and I had to sober up Another day in this life felt just like suicide Trapped between the false and true Dead set on you Dead set on you My mind made up and my heart dead set on you Dead set on you Dead set on you I had my mind made up and my heart dead set on you Since those two runaway kids Sometimes looking back I can't believe what we did Neither one of us ever really liked Doing what we're told Felt like purgatory But we were spinning gold I was trying to break But you were trying to fix Hit me hard and had me on the bricks Dead set on you Dead set on you I had my mind Set on you, dead set on you. I had my mind made up in my heart, dead set on you. I had my mind made up in my heart, dead set on you. Griffin House, dead set on you. That's a banger, man. That's the hit. That's a <laughs> the theme song for a TV show that nobody's made yet. It's called <laughs> Dead Set on You. That was fun to record that one. It was really it sounds really fast on the uh on the album version and the, the band was was pretty rock and roll, so it had a nice vibe to it. It was fun to make. 
and then there's all these fancy chords in that middle eight it's just a middle eight instrumental yeah. section with some fancy chords whose fancy chord idea was that was that your idea or was that the producer that was mine yeah yeah i kept <laughs> i don't know what this little chord was but i really like this that's the chord you're talking about and uh heck yeah yeah it's that's fucking, great uh, yeah like that was just a nice little bridge change we just did an instrumental bridge and uh it worked out to give it a, give it a little uh variance so. that's like one of those bridges where it says to the uh, whoever the listener that i'm a you're in the hands of a professional yeah it's like kind of a one <laughs> or five barn burner type thing but here's some fanciness <laughs> so you know that i'm making it simple in these other parts on purpose right <laughs> pretty much yeah. pretty much i mean lou reed said any more than two chords and you're playing jazz you know and so uh it's it's I know. it's real funny i i just did a cover of heroin uh on my thanksgiving show and that's two chords that's d and g d and g and it's one of the most revolutionary songs of all time but it speeds up and it goes crazy and yeah. the lyrical content is is mental uh but musically it couldn't be more simple and your song right there other than the fancy middle eight is real simple yeah I, I think in some ways it was almost easier for me to abide by that rule you're talking about um there was a freedom to it when i first started playing music because i didn't have much musical knowledge about chord progressions didn't know that many chords and so i had to try to make it work with these limited with this limited knowledge and sometimes you there's more space for creativity when you have to do that and in, in terms of you know when you then when you start learning more about music and you know more chords and know more things you know you, you start playing playing by more rules instead of breaking them like you should and um i, I enjoy breaking as many as possible and and confusing other musicians who think that you know it's supposed to go this way why are you holding there this isn't normal you know like so yeah like i like uh creating things like that that are unexpected with two chords if possible i was li i was listening to some youtube songwriting channel and they were talking about sting's songwriting um uh method and he he does everything backwards and this is a really good trick and it um it, you know it's exemplified by message in a bottle because he had mm -hmm. uh that message in the bottle as like the starting point rather than starting with the opening word he he says he's more concerned with the last line of a verse and the middle line of a verse than the first line of a verse because uh that's where the punches come in the last line and I right. was like that's really that's really true and I never really sort of right. thought of that uh consciously before I knew that but um unconsciously yeah. and with message in a bottle you know once you have that as your theme then the the opening line just to cast away La, la. I don't know the yeah. whole lyric, but you know, just to cast away, blah blah blah, on this dying, you know, like, uh, and yeah. then you, you know where you're going. So, in that way, you sort of have this like secret power. I mean, so I bring that up because the lyrics in that song you just played are really good. And I was wondering what the inspiration was and what was the writing process like. Um, it's it's the image in my head that I have from, um, there was one night when I was on tour and I was opening for an artist named Matt Carney and it was a worldwide, uh, not a worldwide, it was all around the, the country. It was like six weeks and I had had a friend in high school 
who um, he unfortunately he had some some mental issues and he got convicted of murder and he ended up in San Quentin and I was sitting at home one day in my apartment apartment in Cincinnati writing songs and I had been reading some Bible verses and there was a Bible verse in there about um, you know I was in jail and you never came to visit me and I I got like instantly this feeling of like conviction in my heart and I I figured out what I needed to do to go visit this guy in prison. And so I got this appointment set up and I um I drove all through the night with the guy that was with me from Eugene, Oregon all the way down to San Quentin prison. We drove through the night. I got there in the morning and I went in there and, and visited him and so that um that was the first day too that I after the visit that I'd crossed the Golden Gate Bridge and seen the whole San Francisco Bay. And um I just had that image in my mind and then my wife and I ended up being married in, in San Francisco at City Hall. So there was just something um, powerful about that that whole scene taking place there in my mind, visiting my friend in um, prison, ending up meeting my wife there, driving across that bridge, and then moving to Nashville and dealing with sobriety, and my wife going through a miscarriage, and um, the dead set on you line, you know, just came came to me like, I don't know, I guess this was sort of destiny or something, you know, so it was it was just sort of a an autobiographical um, homage to, I guess, probably my my wife and myself and what we've been through. And uh, I don't know, just trying to let the subconscious flow Dr- dream in technicolor, I guess, as, you, as your as your show says, you know. Just try, just well done. Yeah, yeah, well done dropping the name of the show in an explanation man. you get <laughs> bonus points for that. That's great, man. That's a, I was not expecting that story to go there. So the intensity of the lyrics almost, um, it, yeah, because it's not a typical love song, but it does sound like a love song. But it's also the intensity of the conviction in your heart and visiting your friend in San Quentin blended in there with your wife. Yeah, yeah. And I think the point you made earlier is so true about songwriting when you have, especially if you have like a four- line stanza oftentimes i i find that they need to be flipped so that the line that that lands isn't happening on line two it's happening on line four and i think that's what you're you're kind of saying with the sting trick with writing it's like you the order can be very powerful sometimes i've noticed that a lot can kind of make or break it actually (laughs) yeah for sure yeah you got to kind of well you know it's like a left and right in boxing you know the left is a weaker punch (laughs) and then you got to get hit them with the right anyway let me take a quick break we'll be right back after these words on tnt with his expert analysis and opinion this is tnt radio's timothy shea i've been in and around politics for over 50 years so it takes a lot to surprise me much less shock me but i was shocked Shocked, not that so many Argentines voted for Javier Malay, but that the Peronist powers that be allowed him to win the election. And the thing that made me the happiest for my Argentine friends is the video that Malay put out where he went down the row of a magnetic board that had all the Argentine government ministries listed and all the irrelevant ones pulled them off the magnetic board over his shoulder. They're gone. No more. That's exactly what we need to have happen here in the United States. We need Donald Trump back in January of 2025 to streamline our government. We need to move the Department of the Interior actually out into the interior. We need
need to move the Department of Agriculture to where we commit agriculture. And most importantly, we need to defund and disband FBI and distribute its law enforcement functions to other agencies that have their own law enforcement capability already stood up. Can't have Donald Trump back fast enough. I'm glad that Malay is going to make Argentina great again. We need Donald Trump here to make America great again. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. And we're back with Griffin House singing us some fantastic songs. So Griffin, this days that we're living in these days that we're living in rather um they're crazy man you and i sometimes talk about it uh here and there i mean between what we went through with covid and now all these wars what do you think mm. is the role of a musician in this day and age do you feel uh you said you spoke earlier about having conviction in your heart um for not visiting your friend in san quentin um, do you ever feel any sort of moral responsibility with your voice and your muse towards uh, commenting on what's going on in the world and perhaps saying things outside the lines of what's considered safe? I do. Um, I do feel that conviction. And I just had this thought the other day, you know, I think, I think with the way that it's set up now where we can all comment to the world so easily with social media and make a social media post about our opinion or even write like an essay or something like that. Um, it's, it's tempting to do that a lot or spend a lot of time formulating a thought so that you can post almost like an opinion piece on your social media. Um, and I, I really got the sense the other day, I was, I was thinking about it more just that I feel like I it would be better served myself. I would be better served in the world would probably be better served if I took all, all that energy and made that happen in a song and, and let my songwriting, you know, do the talking because I think I, there's only so much energy and time in a day. And I think, um, I've done that in the past with, with songwriting and channeled all that energy into making something creative that then people can go listen to for themselves and form their own opinions about, or ask questions about. And so I'm trying to, uh, you know, it's, it's tricky because like we talked about before, it's really tough to balance time on the road, time with family, time with writing. I don't get a ton of time with with writing um, anymore. And uh, but I, I really I felt that that conviction deeply like, man, all this stuff that you care so much about, like, you know, put it in put it in songs, you know, like. Go Leonard Cohen on it if you have to. Wake up at five o'clock in the morning with a cup of coffee and pour it into verse and then let people see that in an artistic way, you know. Um, but I think that feels that feels creative and right and true and, and refreshing to me with with all the noise that's going on on, on all, all the other channels that we have to communicate with. So 
um, I hope talking about it out loud can in, can inspire me to do more of that and just um, use use that gift for for a good purpose. So we'll see what comes of that. Hopefully something good. But we also live in cancel culture, um, you know, where, yeah. you know, we're dissuaded to use our voice. I had a conversation with my dad that was very interesting, really great connections with him. Um, in recent months and uh it's been beautiful actually but but still the same the same sort of disparate opinions arise but just the sort of emotion uh that used to happen doesn't really happen anymore so i i, I don't mm. i don't know what that's about i kind of do but, but don't want to go all into it but um but he was saying like i was talking like we were talking about some situation in my life and and you know recent times being a little bit uh more financially lean in terms of my ability to make money with music due to being sort of aka canceled um but uh or air quotes canceled um but he was like you did that to yourself you did you, and and i was like yeah i mean i can't argue with that we're we are all responsible for our own place so I grapple the other way with it as well like how much is opening your voice um e you know sort of ego stuff that and then that you yeah. like you know what I mean like there's there's two yeah. sides I do think musicians have a responsibility though some somewhat and I do think it's important for people to speak their mind um and mm -hmm. you know it's it's kind of always uneasy you know uh you know what's going on with Israel and Palestine right now is a perfect example of that and uh you know I have you know coming out with a song called cease fire now I've been putting that out there and I have a lot of my Jewish friends contacting me saying hey man you're falling for propaganda or this that you know you're the guy that always says be careful about propaganda well you're falling for it on the other side and you know I can't tell them oh you're wrong I mean I still have my viewpoint but they make a valid point you know it's really hard to mm -hmm. know what we're seeing and hearing all the time we're living in the matrix simulation and we're all being duped left and right um so I don't know it's an interesting question but uh um yeah. does fear ever prevent you from um putting a message out there I'm sure that it does, but I don't think that fear, I think fear also saves me from walking in front of oncoming traffic. You know, it's kind of like, I think it's there for a reason. So I, I think through things that I do, um, but I think, I think when I, when I know that I'm supposed to say what I'm supposed to say, I, I say it and I'm careful about what I do, but I, you know, I think about like people like, I, I think of people like Bob Dylan for an, as an example, and you know, he wrote all these powerful songs at a really tumultuous time that were used in a lot of ways to f further people's movements um, in that that time period. And it, he wasn't he didn't ever seem to want to be the center of attention leading those protests or anything. But it just seemed like his his songs did all the talking for him and they created they brought a life into the world that people could interpret and use for their own purposes in any in any way that they they chose to be inspired by them and I think there's something there for me in that way where I feel like my my way of expressing myself is is more is not only received better but um probably more powerful in that arena um, rather than just maybe 
sharing my opinion on a post, I suppose. Because I think for me, I have even like I had family, I have family around, I had family in this weekend. And like, I don't really, I don't want to spend our two, two days together, like going into politics and trying to change anybody's mind about something. I just sort of want to create an environment where I can connect and have a human experience of some love and joy and family with them without, without needing to do that. So I don't know. I, I just wonder, it is, it is hard to find, find a way forward, but it's like, I think remaining curious and, and um, not forcing myself to do things because of outside pressure is really important to me too, you know, in terms of when you ask the question about fear, it's like, I need to know that what I'm, what I'm doing or what I'm saying is, is really coming from within and not coming from, from pressure otherwise. That's well said. And Bob Dylan is an interesting example of that because he always sort of thwarted uh, expectation of him, even back, yeah. you know, blow, blowing in the wind days, they wanted him to be more of a sort of stay a protest singer. And then he's out yeah. being electric and right. yeah, he just subverted expectations at every step. Then he became a Christian and it was just, and then it was a whole mess for everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, right. Who is this guy? Anyway, man, you got to play another song for us. What do you got for us? Uh, I played maybe the last song on the EP. It's called Lifeline. All right, Lifeline by Griffin House. I was dying like the autumn leaves. I was burning out I was on my knees I'd given up I was almost done I was fading fast as the setting sun and then you came out of nowhere and I'm safe whenever you are there I used to get so dark and now I feel so light Suddenly the whole world looks bright I used to really want to leave this place But I haven't been the same since I found your face You're my lifeline You're my lifeline you're my lifeline You're my lifeline I used to worry all the time Now I don't care I dream sweet dreams Cause I know you're here I used to get so mad I used to get so blue I used to not know How to make it through And then you Came out of nowhere and I'm safe whenever you are there you're my lifeline you're my lifeline you're my lifeline you're my lifeline
being tired I was tired of being sick I had a wall around me ten feet thick Nothing was working, nothing ever helped And then you saw me in a way I couldn't see myself And it feels good to be happy again Feels good to finally find a friend You're my lifeline 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 that's a beautiful one man it sounds like you're singing to god to me is that is that true or is that to a lady or is god a lady who knows these things you know (laughs) do you not know uh, you know i i guess you think you know when you write it but then you know the meaning, I think when you're doing it right, as you know, well know, you know, you're letting, you're letting a different part of your brain that's smarter than, than we are take over, you know, the subconscious part. And um, friend Mary Gauthier always says, like, the songs are smarter than we are. And when I look back, oh, yeah. you know, some of the lines that I wrote when I was younger, it's like, well, I, I didn't come up with that. Like, I, I can't be responsible for putting that in the song, but the song wrote, wrote it somehow, wrote me, you know? And um, yeah, so we don't know always what we're saying, but, um, you know, hopefully when it, if it's inspired by something, it can be about more than that. So actually one of my people at my show said, she thought I was talking about, um, my my audience are the people that come show up in my show and how they're my lifeline to go back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, just feeling supported by the crowd there and I'm um, experiencing that together. So I think that's true too, but I like your interpretation as well. Yeah. And also the bravery of a whistle break. I mean, that, you know, it's so interesting with the whistle because it's like this, like everybody knows how to whistle, but to whistle in key in a song, you're taking a chance. I know this because I've attempted whistle breaks in the past and that that's the level, that's a level of difficulty. That's sort of like a 9.6. I've been doing a lot of it lately, actually, and and joking that if anybody needs a session whistler, I'm available because some, especially when they have the reverb, like if you have a really good sound guy, right, and he's on it and he has the reverb just right. So when you're getting ready to whistle, um, I have a song that my daughter and I wrote called The Little Girl and the Old Man, and it has an exceptionally cool whistling part in it, I think. But um, I've been doing this at my shows quite a bit lately and doing a lot of whistling and, and getting some um some praise for it so i and you deserve it. Do it griffin <laughs> you got to tell everyone where to find you man we got one minute left tell people where the ep is and all that oh yeah so um my website is griffinhousemusic.com uh you know the ep the tides is available on all the all the places itunes apple music spotify um go to my website griffinhousemusic.com my instagram is griffin wade house and uh facebook is just griffin house i believe so Thanks, Thanks for, for coming on, on my friend. Really appreciate okay. it, man. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll talk time. to you again real soon. 
Okay. Cool, man. Great to see you. Thanks for the song. Right. Great to see you too, dude. All right, everybody, All right. keep listening. We'll be back after these words on TNT.